Hi. Happy Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. Thank you for joining, and welcome to our pilot episode of True Bill, an investigative grand jury podcast series produced by Georgia law firm, BB3 Law Firm, LLC. The warrior people want, presenting indictments based on truth, justice, and learning more about who we are in our American wilderness of ways. I'm your jury foreman and wilderness guide, Bill Black, a Georgia attorney, former special prosecutor, criminal investigator, cybersecurity software and systems engineer, and Air Force combat veteran. Most, if not all, of what you'll hear is me, just me, telling stories, asking questions, and attempting to answer them. I'll present topics ranging from law, literature, culture, history, and current events. I'll also attach links to primary sources and secondary materials and other items of interest in the episode material section on my website, bb3law.com slash podcasts. Think of this dialogue as one long river where we're just listening and learning wherever we roam to find our next catch for the day. And gratefully, we seek to gather around the network of long entangled interwebs. That's Gen XYZ for internet. Each time we meet, we'll pause, look around, and listen for the water. Then we'll dig around to see the bugs, especially the ones in which we think the big fish like to feed. We won't cover the whole story in each episode, just enough to wedge your whistle, give you some room to graze, and then get you back to casting flies or trying to find the next bug down the river. We'll primarily learn about people, from the hills they climb to the swells they breach on their horizon, and mostly how we interact with each other in society including through various mountain ranges of justice in branches of government in the United States. We'll revisit some items mentioned throughout our dialogue in each episode, so pay attention. Some days we will stray off the beaten path, but I hope you'll trust when I say there's plenty of space out here down by the river. Our inaugural True Bill story will first commemorate the memory of Glynn County, Georgia native Ahmaud Arbery. I'll read a few poems, and then next I'll introduce you to Callie House and the ex-slave pension movements. Towards the end of our journey today, and at the end of each episode generally, we'll try to tie a fly together from what we find underneath the riverbed. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I'm a lawyer. Yes, I said that already. And yes, we will discuss legal topics, their examples, and some explanations. But you need to hear me when I say nothing. And I mean nothing. You hear here is legal advice, period. If you want legal advice, hire a real lawyer. Don't listen to some unhinged lawyer turned podcaster. This talk is free, and the advice in it is twice as cheap. Seriously, go get a real lawyer if you want real legal advice. If you need a referral, just keep listening. I may recommend a few from time to time. Also, my words, views, and opinions expressed and or implicated here are my own and nobody else's. Anything expressed or implicated by any person other than me or my law firm here or anywhere are also their own, not mine, not BB3 Laws, nor any of my clients. Lastly, this is a trigger warning in the most gentle, loving, and graceful tone. Truth, justice, and our American way ain't easy. And neither is the stuff we're about to talk about. It's some pretty heavy shit. And the places we're about to go, there ain't no roads. We don't need them anyway. Remember this. These are stories about who we are, both individually and as a nation. Now, Let's go on the record. If I haven't mentioned yet, in my family, there's really no clear line between life and fly fishing. 
so best to check out a few articles on the sport. Watch or read A River Runs Through It, or even check out my go-to fly fishing outfitter, Vicious Vicious Trading Company, owned by my lifelong friend, fellow wilderness leader, and retired master sergeant from the Douglas County, Georgia Sheriff's Office, Jesse Hambrick. Jesse breathes to teach people to fish and tie flies. Look him up on Facebook or Instagram for his online store, or go to his website, vftradingcompany.com. To give us our first waypoint, let's first ask, what does a true bill even mean? In our American justice system, violations of criminal law are investigated by prosecutors, sworn by oath, statutes, and codes of professional conduct to enforce the law. To read more about those rules, see the episode materials on our website. And check out the Georgia Rules for Professional Conduct, Rule 3.8, Special Rules for Prosecutors. These apply specifically to prosecutors in Georgia generally. The Georgia version stems from a larger branch of rules published by the American Bar Association, Model Rules for Professional Conduct. Furthermore, there are various local, state, and federal, and specially appointed prosecutors at different levels of government, but generally, they all derive from the federal and state statutes and your Fifth Amendment rights during a government criminal investigation. Vigilantly and equally protecting the innocent is as much a mandate for prosecutors as is the requirement to refrain from seeking false convictions. One way a prosecutor attempts to achieve these ends is by obtaining an indictment before a grand jury or an independent investigative panel of citizens who decide whether a criminal case may proceed against a person. A no bill means a case won't move forward for a variety of reasons. The most basic reason is there was not enough evidence, or perhaps the grand jury suspects there is more to investigate first. A true bill, however, is when a grand jury determines there is enough probable cause to proceed to the next step. Believe it or not, grand juries also serve a purpose outside of criminal law, but they're not always available for all types of cases. Georgia grand juries, for example, decided our first roads in the Peach State. They even presided over some election matter. At one point, grand juries were abused so much politically, the General Assembly severely limited the scope of their duties. Georgia politicians and people with privilege would routinely leverage the grand jury for political purposes, thereby abusing a sacred constitutional process both at the federal and state levels for personal political reasons. Politics like bullshit, has no place in prosecutorial decision-making. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. For a comprehensive history on grand juries in Georgia, check out the Prosecuting Attorneys Council of Georgia's website. They have a great handbook that provides a deeper historical understanding in the context of being a grand juror in Georgia. Link to that is in the episode materials. So in a way, this podcast is your own grand jury. And I swear, or affirm, to you, that I, with my right hand raised and pauper spy's eye perked, I won't present anything here that doesn't pass a smell test or belongs somewhere in our knapsack. But that doesn't mean you'll like everything you sniff. You never know when you might get the call to be a real grand juror or trial juror remotely these days anyway. And life really is a wilderness. Thankfully, our indictments won't lead to convictions at least not the ones that take away anyone's liberty or property. Hopefully, however, our true bills increase your capacity for fresh water out there in your wilderness and how to search for a trusted fountain to drink. Now let's pause and take a knee.
First up on our presentment is Maud Arbery, who a year ago today was brutally chased, primarily provoked to fight for his life, and viciously executed as he fled from the three vigilante white men who say they were in hot pursuit of the one black man jogging in Satilla Shore's neighborhood away from what they thought was a mod, burglarizing a vacant home under construction. One of the three white men was a retired investigator with the district attorney's office in the county. Another, the latter's son, fired all three shots from a shotgun he used to tell a mod to stop. The third also attempted to block a mod during the course of their hot pursuit. In case you missed it, the link to the copy of the video of Ahmad's final moments is in our episode materials. I've also learned that today, Ahmad's mother, Miss Wanda Cooper-Jones, is asking that we wear a blue ribbon to commemorate her son's memory. I'm wearing mine. And also, happy Blue Ribbon Tuesday, Miss Wanda Cooper-Jones. We love you. Now, I'd like to read a poem I wrote last year on May 8th, 2020. Most will know May 8th is Ahmad's birthday. And last year, many Georgians and people from all over the world ran 2.23 miles that day in honor of his memory. I ran too. These words came to me when I crossed my finish line at 2.23 miles. I titled the poem Distance 2.23. I wanted to finish my run today, to breathe, to reflect on each step I took. They kept following my trail in dismay, perceiving my movements like I'm a crook. Where my eye run, where my colors matter, the hue of my skin in all shades of light, nor frighten them into hate or scatter when looking at someone who isn't white. I ran towards the liberty I seek while listening to my heart's final pang, the beating towards my destiny's peak, reduced to a click, three shots and a bang. I'll run until my name, Ahmaud Arbery, becomes a synonym for harmony. Are you able to run for leisure, outside anywhere? I mean, really run like you matter. Like when people see you coming, they clear the path. They don't find sticks to trip you up. If so, look around you and ask if other people feel the same way. Or if not, ask them why. Next, I'd like to read today's commemorative poem titled Finish Line 2.23. If you run to remember Ahmaud Arbery. I'm grateful we share such a beautiful thing. A noise we hear when no one's really listening. But today I beseech thee, don't speak. Be still and lay your voices in your feet. Instead, let your movement, not your shouting, be your speech. Let the sound of your speed the air you breathe, the steps you beat, the rush of wind, the sweat you steep. Each of these moments you speak. So scream, shout, 
It's okay if only your soul simply squeak. Don't stop until you reach your peak. Run, run, run until you bleed and you're weak. Run like you will never stop until you're free. Then, if you cross your finish line today at 2.23, look again. Only if you still need a little more help to see. Today, let the sound of your movement forward start with your best feet. Taking just a few more steps with me rather than to my defeat. Each day after this will be your voice of change for me. Thank you. And we'll be right back after a brief trail halt. That's where we take a pause to catch our breath. Welcome back. And before I introduce you to Kelly House and the Exalate Pension Movement, I want to reiterate that I won't mention or cover all aspects of every story. Just be sure to check our episode materials. That'll be our syllabus, and we'll be updated from time to time. It won't feel like it, but again, just remember, one long stream, we get to revisit. Here again, we'll just sort of be kicking over a few rocks and then setting you free. Now bluff, or bottom line up front. I'm intentionally not telling you everything all at once. There is more here, a lot more actually. I'm just not in a position or attention span really to tell you everything all at once for various reasons. Trust me that in time, that all will be revealed and all will be told, hopefully. Anywho, now here's what I can share with you. I'll summarize briefly two historians' brilliant research at the National Archives and through historical nonfiction. Miranda Booker Perry at the National Archives completed a tremendous research article on the three branches of governments stifling a pension fund for ex-slaves. The second, an American civil rights lawyer, Mary Frances Berry, who also remains steadfast in her quest to ensure Callie's spirit lives on, as she authored My Face is Black is True, Callie House and the Struggle for Ex-Slave Reparations. This idea that the spirit of Callie's movement lives on is the final sentence in Berry's biographical memoir. I highly recommend it for your reading. Episode materials. I won't say it enough. A Tennessee native and ex-slave by birth. Ms. Callie House survived a decades-long odyssey through the Civil War and went on to lead a movement seeking pensions for ex-slaves and Civil War veterans, black and white. Considered a pest to Reconstruction, preparations for ex-slaves gained little actual traction in privileged societies, hoping to ease the relationships with former Confederate states and their transitioning wealth owned by white citizens. This would be particularly re-traumatizing for ex-slaves due to specific repeated delivering, reneging, and refusing to recognize past promises that exist in writing. Quoting Miranda Booker Perry's article, in the late stages of the Civil War and in its aftermath, the federal government, primarily Republicans, tried to relieve destitution among freed people and help them gain economic independence through attempts to allocate land. These efforts, both military and legislative, help explain why African Americans sought that compensation that was attainable. Special Field Orders Number 15, issued by General William T. Sherman in January 1865, promised 40 acres of abandoned and confiscated land in South Carolina, Georgia, and Northern Florida, 
largely the sea islands and coastal lands that had previously belonged to the Confederates, two freed people. Sherman also decided to loan mules to former slaves who settled the land. But these efforts were rolled back by President Andrew Johnson's amnesty proclamation of May 29th, 1865, less than six months after Special Field Order Number 15. By the latter part of 1865, thousands of freed people were abruptly evicted from land that had been distributed to them through Special Field Orders Number 15. Circular Number 15, issued by the Freedmen's Bureau on September 12, 1865, by comparison, coupled with Johnson's presidential pardons, provided restoration of land to former owners. With the exception of small children who had legal land title, freed people were removed from land as a result of President Johnson's restoration program. The Freedmen's Bureau Act had been established by Congress in March, but Section 4 of the Act authorized the Bureau to rent no more than 40 acres of confiscated or abandoned land to free people and loyal white refugees for a term of three years. At the end of the term, or at any point during the term, the male occupants renting the land had the option to purchase it and would then receive title to it. But President Johnson's restoration policy rendered that section null and void. And seriously thwarted Bureau officials' efforts to help the newly emancipated freed people acquire land. Hoping to overcome this, essentially, Ms. House inspired legislation and federal class action litigation, both of which were stifled by three federal agencies through malicious prosecution in which there was no legitimate prosecutorial interest, principally and shamefully, the Justice Department, P Postal Service, and Pension Bureau, which no longer exists, all prosecuted House under the criminal and civil fraud statutes. A United States attorney argued in a legal indictment that because of a logo from House's organization contained the words of the USA, they were misrepresenting themselves as government officers, offering pensions for ex-slaves if they paid fees for the organization. This wasn't true, at least not for Ms. House's organization. House had been elected to the National Ex-Slave Mutual Relief, Bounty, and Pension Association of the United States of America. My head exploded too. Secondly, her own lawmakers refused to pass an ex-slave pension bill, despite numerous revolutionary and Civil War pension statutes and drafts seeking to create a pension for ex-slaves. When that also didn't work, House inspired the Johnson v. McAdoo federal class action case. Citation is 244 U.S. 643-37-SCT-649-61-LED-1367-1917. LED Episode materials for the love of mom. The case sought to create a pension fund from the roughly $68 million of raw cotton seized by the United States Treasury that was produced from slave labor in Confederate states. Fast forward to present briefly. There is a current United States federal agency that was created in 1974 called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, who administers pensions offered by private companies that fail due to bankruptcy, insolvency, or plan termination, and other reasons, I think. So we all enjoy an analogous benefit created over 100 years later, today, that was not available during Mrs. House's time. Let that rock sink in for a minute. To recap, House's efforts to obtain equal access to pensions for ex-slaves and other federally protected individuals while working to advance equal legal and equitable treatment for everyone in society deserves our national attention now. Furthermore, 
She, like so many others in underserved communities, were misconstrued as criminals by prosecutors willing to obscure truth with interpretations of law not grounded in facts to support an illogical conclusion, one that was flawed from the start. Let's take another trail haul before we try to tie this all together. Welcome back. And for today's pilot purposes only, I won't hide the bug. Most other episodes, I won't hide it or the thread either. Sometimes though, the simplest comparison is an answer, just not always the best answer. We just won't know until we try. So rewind slightly to the letter authored by District Attorney George Barnhill, offering an opinion to the investigation of Ahmad's tragic murder. Reread every line of that letter and the words in it. I won't do so here because my tone will be too revealing, I suspect. A link to a copy of the letter is in the episode materials. Take one last trail haul to read the letter, if you haven't, and then we'll talk more in a sec. Okay, now, the truth before our justice panel today is not the guilt or innocence of any defendants. It's not the sufficiency of any evidence against them. Our inquiry is solely to educate ourselves through a reasonable investigation into what it all might mean for our American way. Our question, if any, presented today is whether valid laws can sometimes be used to obscure bias, prejudice, or injustice, which then act as pretextual justifications for violations of law that would have otherwise been prosecuted against the object of perceived bias, prejudice, or injustice. In other words, does the government, or do people appointed in government positions, sometimes use the law inappropriately, yet within their discretion, authorized by law, that creates an inference their bias implicit or explicit, is obfuscating the truth. In case you haven't been paying attention, there are already two stories today we've discussed where that has happened. One was during the Civil War, Reconstruction, and early 1900s. The other, last year, although we still don't know exactly when the letter from Attorney Barnhill was dated. So let's get to the bug that resembles a common thread, the Barnhill letter. Here's the little boy Billy's response to the Barnhill letter. As the youngest of four siblings, whose single mother was maliciously prosecuted by a former business partner, leveraging a political relationship with a sitting district attorney, both of whom had direct conflicts of financial interest in the case, the letter just doesn't smell right. Everything about the Barnhill letter just doesn't fit. At least not within my view of how I would expect the police to act. Again, little boy Billy here. There's really nothing more to say there. In future episodes, we may unpack that a little further. But for now, we should move on. As a former federal criminal investigator and civil investigator, special prosecutor, and hopefully as a future Peach State prosecutor one day, hell no, all of us, but especially vulnerable populations such as people of color are still being subjected to abuses by members in society who leverage their privilege 
and relationships with those who are also employed by the various justice systems and branches of government, such that the only reasonable conclusion is that their bias or prejudice is present in an unlawful, unethical, or immoral way. But are we really even close to being as far as we should be and understanding the full picture? Clearly not. I don't have all the answers, not even some really. The best we can do is hope to simply ask the right questions. After all, we're really only getting started here, aren't we? We have a long way to go in our wilderness. The joy of learning more about who we are, making room for water in our souls, and expanding further into the vast frontier of our collectively blessed American hearts and minds. This is why we're here. Everything in our known world began in a wilderness full of bugs, fields, and streams, stirred up by all types of characters. And through it, we share something special, the ability to experience it as an individual and as a group, together. Although we won't always know where our paths cross or lead, we follow what we think we like to hear or see. And this leads us to wonderful and sometimes terrible things. Sometimes though, we hear our own water rippling in a nearby river, but only if we're really listening. Kinda nice to have a guide along the riverbed, right? To teach us how to learn to know the difference? or at least some investigative skills for discovering truth, distinguishing lies, and learning better ways to find better sources of water to drink when we're lost, wanting to quench our thirst. BT Dubs, if you have a wilderness story you think I'll want to hear, please email me at bill at bb3law.com. Happy to lend you some listening ears. Apologies if it takes me a little while to get back to you though. These days, I'm quite the yo-yo. Anywho. Thank you for joining me today for this pilot where we presented our first true bill. Please do us a solid by sharing this podcast with the words, I vote true bill and your thoughts on today's stories. Like Callie House said, I love my name and my honest dealing with my fellow persons. We'll make sure to get it all on the record, but until next time, stay frosty and toasty and tuned in out there lost in your wilderness journey. Catch you next Tuesday when we present our next true bill. Yes, I forgot to mention a few things. Are you listening closely? Good. If you work in public service, principally as a prosecutor or law enforcement officer, or agent thereof, and you're one of the bad ones that triggers me into another episode, so to speak, this is for you. I don't know who you are, and that's probably a good thing for you. If you are looking for my attention, I can tell you I don't have much to give, but what I do have are very particular sets of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long series of personal trauma and careers. Several, in fact. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you and a joy for most everyone else. If you let go of your raging emptiness now and seek help, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will make you my next true bill. Your subordinates, peers, or someone you've ruined because of your emptiness has probably already messaged me. Stay frosty or toasty wherever you roam.